Well, good morning. Hey, it's good to see you guys here. I've gotten to say hi to a few of you, but I've seen a lot of smiling faces. I think maybe uh, the weather has helped some. Would you agree? I mean, this is our time of year. North Dakota, not so much, but this is definitely, this is our time of year. It's, it's, a, it's been a bright, beautiful weekend. So allow me permission to take us dark for about three or four minutes. Will you allow me that? Uh, because what follows this three or four minutes is, is going to be worth every moment of, of the dark. I want to take us into death is the darkest word in the English language. Most every one of us in this room today has lost someone to death we deeply love. Some maybe very recently, some maybe further back, but however long it's been, we, we know what that does. Uh, we know the, the grief of that, the agony of that, the finality of that. We know what death is when a person's life is lost, but it's not just death of a life. It may be the death of a key relationship in one's life. It may be the, the death of a marriage. In fact, many in this room could could think about what that's been like, maybe in the past, maybe even the current time, about, about a marriage that once was held so dear that began to die and finally came to the point of actually the, the death of that relationship. And, and you know the, the deep agony and heartbreak of that. Or maybe it's the death of a friendship that was once held so dear and something happened in it and, and it led to a point of, of ending in death. Or maybe it's the death of a dream that you had that you long held on to and you pursued and you yearned for and time has unfolded and that dream is now dead and gone. Maybe it's just death of the passion of life itself. Maybe that's what it is. The Bible calls death the curse. It says this is the curse and death covers all of humanity like a blanket, which makes the subject I'm going to talk about today all the more important, all the more significant, and makes the subject I'll talk about today all the more hope-filled and all the brighter for it. We've been in the book of Acts for a few weeks now. We're in this series we've titled Bold, and I'll quickly bring us up to speed because there's some parts of this that will tie to to where we need to go today. The book of Acts begins with Jesus having risen from death. He's met with his disciples several times. This is the last time he'll meet with them in Acts 1-8, and in that setting, he basically says, I have this, this mission impossible for you. You will be the ones that will go out and tell people about me in this town, the next town, the next, and to the ends of the earth. And they understand how impossible that will be, how it'll be stepping into the deep, because not only is it going to tell someone that, that someone who was dead is now alive, and just saying, just trust me on that, but it's much more than that. It's when they do that in Jerusalem, and maybe even through the entire countryside, they are likely to be the next one hanging on a cross. And so they get this mission from Jesus, and they realize unless God shows up, they will sink. And the chapter wraps up with them praying like crazy. Chapter 2 unfolds, and, and what God had promised was, he said, I'll send the Holy Spirit into your life. First time in human history, the Holy Spirit will come into the life of every Christ follower and stay there. And he does it on this given day that unfolds in Acts chapter 2, and he does it in such a striking way. There are, I mean, there are physical evidence that God is rocking Jerusalem so much that the entire city flocks to where the disciples are, the Holy Spirit does something else very visible that draws the attention to the disciples. And, and it's all so striking and so unexpected and so unheard of that there's this great confusion in the crowd. And so the very first things that Peter says are just to kind of sift out the confusion that they have. And after he's done that, then he begins to utter the words that are the very first words 
for the very first time a follower of Jesus will begin to pursue this mission of telling someone about Jesus Christ. And this is, this is the very first time it's ever been done. And it begins to unfold in chapter 2, verse 22. He said, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus to Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. And he was saying that to them because he knew in the crowd, a crowd that big, there were bound to be some of them in the crowd that had actually been there when Jesus fed the 5,000, and they ate the bread and ate the fish. And he's saying, you, you know, you know, you, some of you have experienced this. There were bound to be some in the crowd that would look a short distance over and say, hey, this guy next to me, I know he was once lame, and Jesus did this miracle, and he's walking, he's standing beside me. And or there'd be someone in the crowd that would look a few people over and say, that guy, blind from birth, Jesus gave him sight. And Peter's making this connection, saying, you, you know what I'm saying is true. This Jesus that God sent did mighty miracles among us. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. The message is resurrection. The very first thing he's saying is Jesus has risen from the dead. Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus has robbed the grave. It's empty now, resurrection. And then he unfolds, and I won't read it, but, but he talks about a psalm that they would all be familiar with and says, and says, here's the interpretation of that psalm you all know. That psalm is all about the resurrection that now has happened in Jesus. And then I'll pick up after that in, in verse 32, after he's talked about the psalm, he says, so God raised Jesus from the dead. And we're all witnesses of this. All of them, the apostles and the other hundred plus are with him. We're all witnesses of this. And now he's exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. He opened it by saying, you know the miracles he did before? You just saw miracles today. That's why you're showed up here because the Holy Spirit has rocked this city physically. You're here today. In the middle of that, his message is resurrection. Jesus is risen from the dead. That's the message. And then I'll pick up in verse 36. He says, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. He's saying this Jesus, he was dead. Now he is Lord and Messiah. Between the lines saying he's risen from the dead. It is the core central message that God has for the human race. It's the core central message to speak into anything dead about you or your life is Jesus has conquered the grave. Jesus has risen from the dead. Paul would say, if it's not true, we got nothing. Paul would say, if, if, if that cornerstone, forget the other 1,300 pages of the Bible because it all hinges on this, is that Jesus has actually risen from the grave. Now, let me ask you this. If you were in the crowd and Peter has made it perfectly clear that you're the one that murdered Jesus, how good is this news that Jesus is back? <laughs> the one you murdered is risen from the dead. Think about it. Throw Jesus out of it 2,000 years ago. Consider today, horrifically, you would never do this. Suppose you murdered someone. And suppose someone approached you in, in three days and said, I got news for you. He's back. He's out of the grave. What would you be thinking? Like how fast and how far can I run? 
Right, where can I hide? And, and these people, that was their thought. And then it dawns on them, whoa, but the one we murdered was God. Right, where do we run? We have nowhere to run. Friends, at that point, that was not good news. That was, I have committed the ultimate rebellion. How horrifically can I be killed for it? That had to be their mindset. In fact, uh, it's almost an understatement in picking up in verse 37. It says, uh, <laughs> Peter's words pierced their hearts. No kidding. <laughs> I think so. Their heart, their guts, their quivering legs, you know, I, they, were, they were rocked. The one we murdered is alive and back. And so they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Should we try to run? Should we just offer our neck now? What should we do? So Peter replies, each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you've, you've received forgiveness for your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, he mentions this. He's talking about them being forgiven for their sins. He's saying God has provided this way that, that the guilt that you have, this unbelievably otherworldly great, can be forgiven. And he's given them the way for that. He's here in this phrase, he talks about you have to repent of your sins. It means to turn from the sinful direction you're going and do a 180. Turn from your sin, repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and by the way, he goes on to say in the next line beyond what I read, it says, and then he taught them for a long time. We don't know what he said, but I highly suspect he made really clear what it meant to be baptized in the name of Jesus, because this was crucial. If any of them were standing there that day and they thought, okay, let's find a pool, dunk me, say in the name of Jesus, I'm good, I'm forgiven. God was not going to let them stand there and think that's what that meant. And so I suspect that Peter probably told what the rest of Scripture unfolds for us. And, and to be baptized in the name of Jesus means that, one, that you really believe he's alive. You really believe when you whisper a prayer, whether it's spoken or unspoken, you really believe that he hears your prayer, one. Second, you say to him, would you please forgive my sins? You understand that your sin, my sin is massively in the way of forgiveness. Please forgive my sin. And then thirdly is, please lead my life. I'm surrendering leadership to you. Say, I want above all else from this day forward, you're my king. You're my Lord. You're the one I take direction from. I yield, I bow to you. That's what it means to believe he really is alive and to say, would you please forgive my sins and would you be the leader of my life? I'm surrendering leadership to you. And that, that's what was unfolded in this. And he's saying then you can be completely forgiven, completely forgiven. And there's a part of this in while Peter didn't spell it out, I'll tell you what the rest of Scripture does. It spells out that Jesus rose from the dead, not just for himself, but he rose from the dead so you could be risen from the dead as well. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 say this. And Paul would write this to those who have, have asked Jesus to forgive them and to lead their lives. And so he's writing to that select crowd. God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. 
For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. He's saying, he's saying with, that when you come to Jesus with this, this faith of asking him to forgive and lead you, he's saying, actually, you were spiritually dead before that. You had no life with God, and, and the implications of that would be that if you remain in that condition, no relationship with God, sins in the way, then the moment you breathe your last you would step into this endless eternity called hell. And Jesus talked about more than anyone. Why? Because he didn't want anyone to go there. And the terms he would use for it were the most horrific terms about it. But, but this is saying that, that God, the moment you would ask him to forgive and leave, then lead you, you're resurrected to life now. Which means, every one of you in this room now, that's trusted Jesus, it means when you breathe your last on this planet, in the very next breath, you'll be in heaven. And you'll see Jesus face to face. And you will see those who have also trusted Christ with their lives that have already died, you will see them face to face, and there'll be no pain and no sorrow and no end to that. That, that life will never end. It's, it's eternal life. The, the message in all this is, is that Jesus rose so you can be raised to life too. And not just raised to life when you die, raised to life at the time you trust him to a life that will never end. It means everything when the last breath comes. Uh, like some of you, I've had some people that I love more than my life itself that have breathed their last. And by God's goodness and grace, uh, some of them had turned toward Jesus. And while their funerals were very hard times, it was so different because I knew, I do, I know. I'm going to see them again. It's so different. It changes everything. I, I have yet to be on my deathbed, although it could happen any day now, although I hope not. I've yet to be, be on my deathbed, but, but maybe some of you have been that close. So I can only imagine what it would be like if I'm thinking this could be the last day. I, I am so sick. The doctors, they have hospice here. This could be the last day. But I can imagine how much difference it's going to make knowing. <laughs> like, like one breath to the next, knowing. Can you say, like, blow the darkness of death away? Blow away the discouragement of death? Blow away the debilitating effect of death, the devastation? Can you say, blow it away? I mean, Jesus came to, to raise us Back to life now, life that will never end now. Next breath after the last one on this planet would be in heaven. And I'll give you one more thing that's wrapped up in all this too that Peter maybe said to them that wasn't recorded in Acts 2. Um, is, is it when he raises someone to this new life at the time they trust him, he makes them a brand new person. Paul would write about this in 2 Corinthians five seventeen. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, one of the most hope-filled it says, this means that when anyone belongs to Christ, in other words, anyone that's given their life to Christ, they have become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. There's this change. You become resurrected as a new and different person, more in the image of God. Stunning, stunning gift of God. Stunning gift of God. And it doesn't end there. You get toward the end of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 5. It says, the one sitting on the throne, which is Jesus, says, look, I'm making everything new. 
I'm not just resurrecting the lives, the lives of those who've trusted me. I'm making everything new. And I read that fresh and I begin to think of the dying marriages and the crumbling friendships and the God-given dreams that are on fumes and the hope that's lost. And I read that and understand Jesus is saying, I want to resurrect those things. I came to make everything new. And he really does this in real lives of real people. He robs the grave in every sector of our lives. I want to invite uh, Todd and Kathy Eggleston to come up. Uh, They've been so gracious to agree to come. Hey, give them a big harbor welcome as they come. Thank you guys so much for for agreeing to do this today. I got to know Todd. We may have met prior to the time, but a year ago I met Todd. I've gotten to know him really well and then indirectly gotten to know Kathy through him. So if your ears were burning, phenomenally <laughs> good things said about you by this man here with it. But, but um, you have a good story to tell. And there's some in this room, maybe a lot in this room, that don't know any of your background. So give us some background about your lives. Okay. So Kathy and I have been married for 15 years. We have two sons. Travis is nine and Cody is six. And uh, I was raised in church, um, but uh, didn't know... Uh, when Kathy and I met at Trinity University, uh, we didn't really have a relationship uh, with God at that point. Uh, it was kind of on the back burner. Um, but as we got married and after that, uh, things started to change and we started to invite God back into our lives and go to church again when it was convenient for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Say, uh, I've been fascinated by your job, by the way. Would you uh, tell yeah. them what you do? This sounds so cool. Yeah, so I work at NASA. Uh, I'm a chief training officer. And I get to train flight controllers and astronauts to do their jobs. So. Does that sound cool? <laughs> that sounds really cool to me. Yeah. I, can't, I can't believe they let me do it. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, what would you add to that? Um, I work in the clinical affairs department at a medical device company here in Houston. And I was also raised in church. And I was baptized as a baby. But I really didn't start to understand what it meant to surrender my life to God until... Um, shortly after Todd and I were married, we joined a small group, and it was during that time uh, that I surrendered my life to Christ almost 15 years ago. And <laughs> yeah, that's worth applause. Nothing bigger than that. Um, but even though I was baptized as a baby, I decided to be baptized as an adult here at the harbor back in May of 2012. Mm, yeah, I'm I'm sure the last 15 years that a lot of folks have looked at both of you. And thought the all-American family living the all-American dream. Um, two great jobs, uh, two healthy, great sons and everything. They would see that. But um, you've shared with me there was a time several years back that life became really hard. Yeah, looks uh, were definitely deceiving. Um, I was in a bad place mentally and spiritually. And I was very depressed and angry about a lot of things. And just not happy with my life. Um, and that was le- leading me to... To make some really bad decisions. <clears throat> I had taken pills before, uh, starting in college, and it was always just for fun, and it was something that I thought I always had control over. Uh, but kind of gradually over the course of time, um, I started taking them more and more, and it became something that turned, that went from something that was just fun to something that I was dependent on. 
And, uh, I mean, really, it was, I just, I, my life wasn't as, isn't, wasn't as fun without them. And so uh, I was looking for them everywhere. I was stealing them from Kathy and from family. And, uh, and I, thought, I thought I was doing a pretty good job of hiding it from everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you thought you were managing life still in the midst of all that. Mm-hmm. Kathy, what did you see during that time? Um, I knew that the pills were a problem and becoming an even bigger problem. Um, I tried to confront Todd about it several times, and he continued to just deny that there was any issue. Um, Our marriage had started to decline. We were having a lot of trust issues, and we really just weren't connected anymore. Um, I started to feel like the only good that I could see in him was that he had given me my two kids. And when I looked at him, I just felt like I could see through him. Mm-hmm. He was just a shell of the man that I had married. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it came to a crisis point on a given day. Yeah, on August 18th of 2012, I took too many pills at a party, and I pretty much blacked out uh, from that night till the next morning. Um, I remember bits and pieces of things. I know that I wasn't really able to form sentences. I know that I could barely walk. Uh, but Fortunately, I had a really good friend who was able to drive me home from the party and uh, get me home safely. And I do remember opening the front door and seeing Kathy when I walked in. Mm-hmm. And Kat was out of the bag at that point. Yeah, you knew the addiction was for certain exposed at that point. Um, how did that event hit you, Kathy? Um, for me, it, I, I was furious. It was the last straw. Um, I knew that at that point that our marriage was over. Um, I didn't feel like there was any possible way that I could love him again. Um, I had been contemplating divorce for a while. I was very successful at my job, and I felt like I could support myself and my two kids by myself. And so I decided on August 19th of 2012, the morning after Todd came home from that party, I wrote in my prayer journal that that was the day that I had given up on my marriage. Mm -hmm. It was a Sunday, and I got myself up and my two kids ready to go to church, and we were off to start a new part of our lives. Mm -hmm. It was over, and you had a well-thought-out plan of how it would unfold. How did the day unfold for you, Todd? Somehow I managed to wake up uh, with enough time to get ready to go to church. And as much as she didn't want me to get in the car with her that morning, uh, I got in the car anyways. Pretty much out of just feeling guilty for what had happened the night before. Uh, But I got in the car, we went to church, and uh, when I got to those front doors, God was there to meet me. And uh, throughout that hour of that message, he really spoke to me throughout that whole time. And he said, hey, we got to get this thing straightened out, and I'm going to be the one to help you do it. And so I grabbed Kathy in the hallway as we were going to pick up the kids from Sunday school, and I just told her, hey, here's the deal. God talked to me during the message, and he said that he's going to help us get this, this fixed. And uh, you know, at that point, I really I had to. I didn't have any other choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did that, that hit you? What did you see unfolding from that comment? Um, I I was pretty skeptical. I had heard the words before that he was going to stop taking the pills, and it hadn't happened. So I was skeptical that he could change, and even if he could, I didn't think there was any way that my feelings for him would change. 
Um, so as a last-ditch effort, though, we started some Christian marriage counseling, and God completely broke the chains of addiction that were surrounding Todd. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And slowly and steadily, he started to restore our relationship. Mm-hmm. So trust, which had been gone, you were at zero. Yeah. Uh, it had to be a very gradual rebuild. It was, I yeah. Um, when we started this, um, the trust was completely gone. The love was completely gone. And um, over time, slowly, bit by bit, he started to show me that he was trustworthy, and I began to trust him again. And um, through that, uh, I began to love him again. Mm, yeah. Probably, I mean, it probably took over the course of a year for that to be rebuilt. It, yes. it took some time, but yes. we made it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's just a miracle that, uh, that from what I put her through and the kids mm-hmm. through, that, that she was able to love and trust me again yeah, more it, than she did before. Yeah, it really is. I, you guys let me read some of the early notes that you made about your story. And... Uh, frozen in my mind is, is this image you, you wrote down in mm-hmm. a capital letters, like capital D about your marriage, capital D space, capital E space, capital A space, capital D space. It was dead. It was. And yet um, God met you on a Sunday, and you took one last chance, and mm-hmm. God worked in this to the point of, um, you've told me this, so, but I want you to tell them how you view your marriage now compared to the early years of marriage, before yeah. the problem emerged. Our, our marriage today um, is, is better than it ever was. I mean, we, our, our marriage isn't perfect, um, but we have a new perspective on it now. We know that there isn't anything that life can throw at us that God won't be able to carry us yes. through. Yeah. And I was able to uh, go back to that journal entry that I made, and it now reads the day I gave up on my marriage and handed control over to God. Mm. Wow, profound. God really has resurrected your marriage. He really has from death to life. He's that kind of God, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's that kind of God. Absolutely. Yeah. But this is cool because he wasn't done resurrecting. He had more to do. So guide us into some of that thought, Todd. Yeah, so uh, starting with the marriage counseling, my life was really starting to get back on track. Um, things were going really good at home. Uh, my work life was getting, was it was improving. I had just gotten a promotion. Uh, I, I've been pill-free for almost five years now. Um, but I still felt something was kind of just missing uh, spiritually inside me. And so I finally, after a few tries, accepted God's call and uh, a lot of Dana's prodding uh, <laughs> to go to Catalyst. And I went to Catalyst in February of 2016. And Matt, it was just, Wow. Uh, God's love was everywhere that weekend. It was just so powerful, uh, just all over the place. I had never experienced that before in my life, and it was just such a wonderful feeling to experience how much God loves me. The artificial high that I was on before uh, just doesn't even hold a candle to the new spiritual high that that God put me on. And while I was there, uh, I realized that you know, I believed that God existed, but I didn't really, I didn't have a relationship with him, period. And so I wanted to change that. So on February 19th of 2016, uh, I surrendered to Jesus and gave him leadership in my life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I got to be in close proximity, so I got to see the beginning of uh, really a new life. 
but tell us what you see now of your life, your authentic look at what's different now, if anything. Yeah, I mean, really, it it sounds simple, but everything's different. Um, just so many things in my life have changed. Uh, you know, I, I'm studying the Word uh, constantly now more than I ever was before. So daily, daily time in the Word, learning and studying the Bible. Um, I just have a new appreciation and just thankfulness for, for God's love for me. It's, it's just outstanding. I, I can't even really put it into words. Uh, I'm in prayer now a lot more. So I'm talking to God, having conversations with him uh, all the time about my life, what's going on, where he wants it to go. And I think a, a key thing for, for me and a lot of men, I think, is to learn how to, I've learned how to ask for forgiveness from God mm-hmm. and forgive myself and then leave that in the past. Yes. So leave the, the guilt of the sin that I've committed, just, it's, it's, in the, it's history. So I've, that's been one of the key things I've, that, I've, the, that I've changed in. Mm-hmm. And then also just, I have a, a more deep love for my wife now and, and my kids, and uh, just as God loves me. Yeah, yeah, very, very well said. Really, the, like, the best judge is Kathy. <laughs> <laughs> So, Kathy, what would you Here say? Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> um, Actually, I'm glad I heard the first service, so I'm not as worried as you are. So, <laughs> so tell us. Um, I think anyone who saw Todd after Catalyst knew that there was a change in him, uh, especially our kids. They just kept asking, Daddy, why are you smiling so much? Why are you so happy all the time? <laughs> and um, all he could say was just, God is so awesome and he mm. loves us so much. Um, he has become the spiritual leader of our family. I don't feel like I'm pulling him along anymore. He leads us. Uh, he's the one who gets us to church and leads us in prayer. And he will talk to just about anyone about God. Uh, one of my favorite stories in the past year is that we were um, in Florida on spring break. And Todd was having some quiet time reading the Bible on the balcony. And some window washers descended onto our floor. And <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> Todd decided to uh, take that opportunity to invite them to join him in studying the Bible. And they actually uh, came back later that day, and Todd held a Bible study on the balcony with the window washers. <laughs> and that would have never happened before. <laughs> We talk about stepping into the deep, and I would call that stepping into the deep, yeah. and, and I would call this stepping into the deep, too. I, I love your uh, trust in God that's so deep that you would be transparent and, and tell a crowd of people and have this on video that can be spread around the country and say, um, here was our brokenness, mm-hmm. and, and here's what was um, dying or we thought dead, yeah. and Jesus rose it from the dead. And so uh, I can't, we can't thank you enough for the story of inspiration that you've given us today. So let's give these guys a huge thank thanks for this. Like, yeah, like Todd said, you, you can't make this stuff up. Um, 
Death blankets the human race. But Jesus has conquered death. He's robbed the grave. And so I wonder if any of you need resurrection today. I wonder if, if any of you need the ultimate resurrection of a new life in Christ. I wonder if any of you have been like Todd described in church a lot, believed God existed, prayed, read the Bible, all that, but never, never said to Jesus, I think you're listening and I'm asking you, forgive me, lead me. And never know what it's like to have a new life. When we were talking earlier about this interview, uh, Todd said, the moment I trusted Jesus, I knew that I knew that I knew. He's a seismic shift, seismic shift. Maybe for you, you're here. God brought you here because you need the ultimate resurrection of your life. And he would say, make it today. I, I will resurrect you today. And I'll give you a new life today. And it will be so different until you breathe your last. And then that last breath will be so different because the outcome that comes for you. That's why you're here I can sense God saying, why would you pass that up? It's real. It's true. Jesus is risen from the dead. He's come to raise the dead. Why would you miss that? Why would you miss it? Why would you not? Even as I'm speaking, you can do it with your eyes wide open or your eyes closed. You can whisper a prayer. I think you're listening. Would you forgive me? Would you lead me? I'm, this is authentic from the heart. Brand new life. But I know, too, there's bound to be Someone here who's in a marriage that they think is dead or dying. And you needed to hear that Jesus is one who can resurrect marriages. And, and he would say to you, you, say to you, you surrender this marriage to me. And you surrender yourself to me. And let me make you the person, the, the best image of me you could be in that marriage. As I also work on your spouse as well. And he has you here to say, I'm, man, my marriage is dead or dying, but you're the resurrector of all things, so I'm surrendering it to you, and I'm giving myself to you to mold me in this marriage. Or maybe it's a friendship. Same thing he's saying, I'm, I'm the one who can bring back to life friendships that are dead. And he wants you to surrender the friendship and yourself in it and, and say, change me in all the ways you want to change me in it. Or maybe it's, it's a dream that you think is a God-given dream that appears to be dead or dying. And he wants you to, to surrender to the one that can, can resurrect dreams as well. And if it's a God-given dream and you surrender the dream to him and yourself in the dream, if it's from him, he will resurrect it. And it will come back to life like you never knew. And if it's not a God-given dream, it'll die and he'll give you a better dream. Maybe that's why you're here. Or maybe you're here because you have found that all passion for life is died in you. And he would say to you, just surrender your emotions to me and let me begin to speak truth to you. Of what's true, of who you are. And he would say, how I see you and who I am and the plans I have for you, the future I have for you, just surrender to him. Do you, need, do you need resurrection today? And then I would say one more thing. Many of us in this room, like Todd and Kathy, we have experienced resurrection. And, and I would say because it's a human race that is blanketed in death, we have to tell our stories. 
we have to tell people, hey, Jesus has risen from the dead. And he came to resurrect everything, all it will allow him to, and make it new again. They need to know that. They need to hear that. And we need to do it boldly. We need to do it boldly. The people in our world, we need to tell them our resurrection story and say, this is real, this is true. It happens to real people like me. It can happen to real people like you as well. I, I want to put a capstone on this. There's a song that some of you are familiar with that I want us to, to end with. And if you're from a tradition where the last song means it's time to leave, that's not the tradition here. The last song means this is the, the most powerful part of the whole hour. It means don't miss this. And so this song will begin to unfold, and you can participate however you want. You can sit and soak it in. You can do whatever, however you want to respond to this song. But I want to tell you one more thing. When you hear it one time, it won't be enough. And so Mark and Sarah have recorded it in, in a stunning setting. Uh, at the power of God in the recording. And you'll be able to access it this afternoon on the website. And you'll need to, to hear it again, watch it again. And you'll want to share it with some other folks as well. Father, thank you that you are the the God of resurrection. You're the one who has robbed the grave. You're the one who brings what's dead back to life. You're the one who, who is longing to breathe life back into some here who are dead right now, dead spiritually, dead to you, dead to the future. You want to breathe life now, and you invite them to surrender. And God, there are relationships represented in this room. I'm sure of that that the same is true. You're saying that you are so ready and longing to breathe life back into what appears to be dead. And you're just inviting ones to surrender that relationship and themselves into it. Likewise, dreams. Likewise, passions. You're the God of resurrection. You're the God who's conquered death. And we thank you for that. And we celebrate that. And when we experience that, then we will so gladly tell others what they could have to. In Jesus' name, amen.